This morning, as we continue our sermon series through Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, our text is Philippians 3, verses 15 to 17. However, I'm going to start reading in verse 12 this morning to give us the context for the portion of God's Word we'll look at this morning. Our sermon text is printed on the back of your order of worship if you'd like to follow along with it there. Beloved, God's Word is more precious than gold, even much fine gold. It is the most precious thing in your life. God's Word is sweeter than honey, sweeter even than the drippings of the honeycomb. It is to be desired above all things in this world. Listen now to the Word of God. The Apostle Paul writes, and he says, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to that we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Thus far, the reading of God's word. It is absolutely true, and it is given to you because your Father in heaven loves you. Let's pray. Blessed Lord, who caused all the holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant us now by your Spirit the grace to read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest this portion of your word, that we might even more hold fast to the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. How do we grow in Christ? How do we become mature and holy and humble and wise? Hopefully that is what all of us want out of this life. I would suggest it should be your longing for what you experience in the years that the Lord gives you, to continue to change, to continue to grow, to continue to become a different person than who you are now, to become more and more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That, of course, is what Paul is 
calling his readers to as he exhorts them to join him in forgetting what lies behind and pressing forward to what is ahead. But how does this happen? How are we made like Jesus? Certainly part of the answer to that question is rooted in the way that the Spirit works in us through his means of grace, through word and sacrament and prayer. As we receive these gifts, particularly in the context of public worship, the Spirit really does change us over time. He really does make us new. But another part of the way in which the Spirit works in our lives and changes us is inescapably personal, inescapably rooted in our context, inescapably connected to the people around us, even, dare I say, the people with you in this room right now. Because one of the ways that the Spirit brings wisdom and holiness and humility and maturity into our lives is as we observe and watch and imitate those men and women around us who are following Jesus as well. And God does this on purpose. It's part of how he plans for us to grow and be made like his son. Through watching and imitating and modeling ourselves, not just after Jesus as he is presented to us in the words of the gospel, but Jesus as he is enfleshed among us, around us and the people that we actually know. Imitation, of course, is fundamentally connected to all forms of human knowledge. A child learns to speak and read, not by taking a dictionary and trying to piece it all together and work out grammar and context and syntax and all of those things and definition, but by listening, just absorbing, watching, his or her parents, his or her older siblings, and over time learning to repeat back, imitate the strange sounds that they're making, which apparently have all sorts of meaning, meaning that only becomes clear as we actually give ourselves to the process of imitation, right? If you refuse to imitate your parents as a child, and speak the words they speak, you'll never know what they're talking about. You'll never know what it means to communicate. And in this way, imitation of others is fundamental for all the things that we learn in our lives, whether it's throwing a baseball or playing a piano or driving a car, or even really simple things like walking or jumping or running or climbing a ladder. All of us learn these things by imitation of others. According to Paul, the Christian life works in much the same way. I think this is an important thing to note. Sometimes we can over-spiritualize, so to speak, quote-unquote, what it means to grow in Christ. We can turn it into this mystical thing that maybe someday we'll discover the key and the the hidden treasure map and have the experience that will make us like Jesus. But friends, God actually works in simple ways and straightforward ways. 
He actually works through the hours and days of your life, even as you are surrounded by others who are following Jesus with you, as you are watching them, as you are going after them, as you are doing the things that they do. In some ways, it is not even that complicated. You see, in our passage this morning, Paul is encouraging his readers simply to think as he thinks, to listen to what he's saying, to hold true to the progress that they have attained thus far. Remember in chapter 3 thus far, Paul has been describing his own life to these Philippians. Now, they know his story. They know him in the flesh. He planted their church. He was their pastor, but now he is apart from them. And so now he is reminding them of his story, of what it has meant for him to follow in the way for Jesus, of Jesus. He has reminded them of how, for the sake of Christ, he has suffered the loss of all things, how he has sought to participate with Jesus in his sufferings, to share in that kind of knowledge and experience with Christ so that he might also in some way share in his resurrection. He has reminded them of how he is now seeking to forget what lies behind and press forward to what is ahead. And then he gives them this exhortation in verse 17. He says, brothers, join me. I'm sorry, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. Notice what Paul is doing there. He's not simply saying, think about my story, think about my experience, imitate me. He is saying that. But he's also saying, open your eyes, look around you. Keep your eyes fixed on those in your city, in your community, in the little church where my letter is being read. Keep your eyes also in them as they walk according to the way that I am describing. You see, Paul doesn't want this just to be an apostolic story of suffering and maturation and growth that they pattern themselves after. He also wants them to pattern their lives after flesh and blood examples that they know about. People who are flawed, people who have imperfections, and yet still are being faithful, are walking in the way of Jesus. Paul says, don't just consider my example, consider those people in the room with you as you're hearing this letter read. And notice also what Paul is doing. He's saying, in order for you really to comprehend and apply the things that I'm talking about, it's not enough for you simply to meditate on the words that I'm saying to you. I also want you to look around and find others who are living in this way, others who are doing the kinds of things that I am doing, who are counting everything as loss, who are pressing forward to know Jesus, and learn from them. Learn from those living examples and models of Jesus Christ. Yes, asking questions of them, but also simply by imitating their habits, by quite literally doing what they do with their bodies, by mirroring their speech, by talking as they talk, by following in their example. Discipleship, as it turns out, is not 
some kind of complicated rocket science that you need to you know, have a whole wing of the Christian bookstore in order to maybe find somebody's... Like, it's pretty simple, according to Paul. Find people who walk in the way of Jesus and do what they do. Keep your eyes open. Watch them. Follow in their way. This emphasis on discipleship as imitation is a theme that occurs again and again throughout his letters, as we, I'm sorry, throughout the letters of Paul. As we heard in our New Testament reading this morning, Paul commends the Thessalonian church. He actually does it again in 2 Thessalonians 2. But in 1 Thessalonians, he writes to them and says, this is why I'm so thankful for you and why the Lord has been at work in the way that he has in your community. He says, you became imitators of us, meaning himself and Timothy, and of the Lord, right? As they imitated Paul and Timothy, they were imitating Jesus. And how? He says, for you received the word in much affliction. In the midst of your suffering, you saw how we suffered and you imitated us. With the joy of the Spirit, Paul says, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. And that's the interesting thing about we take seriously what Paul is saying. Right? Not only are we to, to become um, imitators of others, but actually as we do that, we actually become examples to others, even more people, right? There's this like chain that happens, this, this, this spiral, this, this holy spiral that happens, right? We imitate others and are made more like Jesus. And as we're made more like Jesus, others are imitating us and being made more like Jesus themselves. That's the way the church is supposed to work. Friends, so many of us underestimate the influence that we actually carry in this world or we think that our influence is found in all sorts of things that it's not really. This is the way that we actually impact the world, right? It's not by like writing a blog or maybe publishing a book or whatever it might be that you think will make that legacy certain. It is through the example that you give to the people who know you, right? And I don't mean like big crowds. I mean like the people who know you. Like, that is how you actually change the world, is by walking in the way of Jesus and allowing that to influence those who are in proximity to you. And you do this way more than you think you do, for good or for ill. You bear weight in this world through the relationships around you. For the people in this room, your life carries significance. Because as you imitate Christ, you become an example to others. So do not wonder whether your life matters. I mean, the bad news about that is like, yeah, probably in 100 years, people are not going to remember you or me. But the good news is that you can make an incredible impact simply by following in the way of Jesus and allowing others to see you doing it. That is the way that our lives carry forward through time and space all the way to the resurrection. That's why there are Christians in this room today 
Because for centuries before you, people did this kind of thing, right? And influenced their own generation, their own peers, and slowly over time that was passed down. Right? The history of the church is not just the scriptures. Certainly the scriptures are foundational and fundamental, but it's also a living community of people over time, walking in the way of Jesus and imitating one another. In 1 Corinthians, Paul also illuminates these things. He says to this confused church, this church that is having so much trouble with false practices and false teaching, he says, For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you, therefore, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ. Paul sends Timothy to the Corinthians so that they will have a living example of how Paul is, and how Paul is is how Jesus is, right? There's this chain of personal relationships meant to impact people and make disciples in that way. An interesting thing also comes to light in this portion of Paul's teaching um, to the Corinthians. Paul highlights here the reality that those who we imitate are, in a sense, like parents to us. They become like fathers or mothers. Paul says that he is not merely a guide to the Corinthians. He is actually a father to them. And in the next breath, he urges them, because he is their father in Christ Jesus, to be imitators of him. Right? This makes sense because our biological parents are often the people whom we most naturally imitate, right? Those who raise us, for better or for worse. This is the way God made the world. Our parents become our most important models in almost every way, right? How they work how they spend their free time, how they spend their money, how they joke, how they argue or don't argue, how they read, how they speak or don't speak, how they cry or don't cry, how they worship God on Sunday or don't. All of these things become normative in a way that sticks with us the rest of our lives, right? It shapes us. Even when we don't want to, we find we're imitating them. Now, for some of us, this natural imitation of our parents is a great blessing because they were wise and mature and holy and worthy models for us. But for others, this is a great challenge. And I know this because our parents failed to be faithful models in substantial and significant ways. But I think Paul's words here to the Corinthians put our relationship to our natural parents in a fascinating new light. Because Paul, who is childless, unmarried, no children naturally, says he is a father in Christ Jesus to the Corinthians. And as a father offers himself to them that they might imitate him. You see, what Paul is teaching us is that regardless of who our actual parents are, if we are in Christ Jesus, if we are 
part of the community of the baptized, we are given new fathers and new mothers to model ourselves after, to be influenced by, to imitate. We are given fathers and mothers in Christ Jesus, as Paul says. And in this way, the church becomes, by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, a true family, a new family, a family full of parents and grandparents and siblings and children who are related to one another, not by blood, but by water and by the Spirit, and thus become a place not only, the church becomes a place not only of growth and maturity, but also of healing of those wounds that were left by our natural parents. A place of renewal, a place where we experience fathers and mothers in different ways. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul gives us the fundamental qualification for those whom we should identify as models to imitate. Be imitators of me, Paul says to the Corinthians, as I am of Christ, right? Follow me as I follow Jesus. Now, Jesus' own discipleship plan, of course, was built fundamentally on imitation. As we heard in our gospel reading this morning, when Jesus called his first disciples, his call to them was a call to imitate. Follow me. Jesus says to Peter and Andrew and James and John, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And then, as Matthew tells us, they watched him and followed him so they could watch him. As he then, what, set up a little school for them about how to fish for men? No. As he immediately went into Galilee and started doing it as an example to them. As he began to teach in synagogues and heal all kinds of diseases and afflictions as he began to cast out demons and minister to all the gamut of human need that was there before him. It's striking that Jesus did not say to his disciples, follow me, and then immediately go into a a time where they would be separate from the world, where he could really influence them by giving them lots of things to think about. And he does do that, of course. He's about to teach them the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5 through 7. But first, he takes them somewhere. He doesn't speak orally about the kingdom to them. He actually models what the kingdom is as they watch and listen and learn to imitate him. It must have been remarkable, right, for those men who first followed Jesus as they listened literally to the sound of his voice and became familiar with the cadence of the way that he spoke, right? Not just in public, not just in formal teaching, but also in private conversation, his conversations with them and also his conversations with all the different people who came to him for help. I mean, think about what that must have been like for those disciples as they followed Jesus through those days of his ministry, as they watched him speak with each individual person who came to him for healing and for help, right? All of those different people, different backgrounds, different problems, 
different fears. All of them came and spoke to Jesus, and they watched and listened as Jesus listened and spoke and touched and healed. And they learned to do all those things by imitating him. And they didn't just learn by listening to Jesus as he spoke to other people. They also learned by listening to Jesus as he spoke to God. And this is one of the ways we really learn to imitate people when we hear them pray, right? We learn to pray as they do. Jesus was a man who prayed. The Gospels make this very clear. And for Peter and Andrew and James and John, they learned to pray by imitating him, learning to call God Father as he called God Father, learning to pray with confidence and familiarity and faith and hope by listening to him model all of those things. Now, we're no more able to imitate Jesus in these ways in the flesh than the Corinthians were. He's in heaven. He's risen. He dwells there. We dwell on earth until his return when he comes to be with us. But what, are we, but what we are given in his absence is a precious thing. Men and women in flesh and blood around us who are themselves imitating Jesus and whom we are invited to imitate as they imitate Christ. Beloved, this is one of the ways, I want you to see this, that Jesus actually manifests himself to you today in this world. Not only in word and sacrament, but also in the presence of Christ in those around you. In those you have known throughout your lives, and some who have died, I'm sure, and gone before you already, but also some who live in your life today now. And men and women who, though not yet made perfect are actually being made like Jesus as you watch them. They are becoming holy and wise and loving. And one of the fundamental ways that you are given the opportunity to be made like Jesus in those ways is to model yourself after them. Beloved, if there is anything that you take from this sermon today, I want it to be the way that you see the church that you see it as God's gift to you. That's what it is. And yes, I know there are problems with every church, including ours. I get that. But the church is the gift of God to you. This is gracious act, not just to save us out, pluck us individually to himself, but to group us together so that we might know Christ in one another and through one another. The people around you, friends, even the people in this room, are not just given to you as friends or companions or interesting conversation partners or people you like to spend time with. They're actually here in your life, in God's providence, as a part of his plan, an essential part of his plan, to make you like his son to make you holy and loving and conform to the image of Jesus. That is why there are other people in the room today, because they too are a part of what God is doing in your life. And this actually is one of the fundamental reasons that we need the church, 
because Jesus is not with us in the flesh, but his spirit, the spirit of the living Christ, dwells in the men and women around us. And in that way, Jesus is with us. So as we close this morning, I just want to ask you this, beloved. Who is it that you are watching as they follow Christ? Who is it that you are seeking intentionally to imitate? Who is that person really? Is there someone that comes to mind or several someones? I hope there are at least a few names that you have that aren't far away. Because according to Paul, this is actually part of what you're called to do as you follow in the way of Jesus. To keep your eyes open. To keep watch, as Paul says. For those who are following in the way of Jesus. Noticing where God has put you. And find living examples, living models for you to imitate. <clears throat> And so I'd encourage you to ask yourself this question today and in the weeks to come. Who is it that you are imitating? Because probably there are people. What does it mean to imitate the right people? And with intentionality. Not just sort of, you know, by and by. But on purpose. Paul tells us that we should be both careful and intentional about those whom we imitate, that we be keeping our eyes not just on those whom we are naturally drawn to, who seem charismatic or fun or whatever, but on those who walk according to the way of the apostolic example, those who walk in the way of Jesus Christ. And I encourage us this morning to take this call, to take this word from the apostle seriously. Because the living examples of Jesus Christ who share in your life are there on purpose. And they are actually intended to be one of God's primary gifts to you. One of the primary ways that he has provided for you to become made after and into the image and likeness of his Son. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.